Cuff Radio is about to begin. Everybody loves a hero. I believe there's a hero in all of us. Welcome to Real Cuff Radio, and today we're sitting at the Journey Coffee Shop, which is belongs to YWAM, and basically we're going to be interviewing Mitch Mesker, and he's also a YWAM missionary in the Philippines. And so he's going to start out telling us our testimony, and then we'll, uh, from there, we'll, we'll see what questions we've got. Well, hi, everybody. My name is a Brother Mitch from the Philippines. I've been serving there for about 26 years now, 1988 until now. And every four years I come back to America. I'll travel through about uh, 30 states. I actually have 70 stops in 100 days. I've uh, finished uh, 14 states already and have 16 uh, to go. Uh, we return back to the Philippines on May 29 uh, in just about 40 days from now back to Manila. We live near Manila, which is 16 million population, the capital of the Philippines. Philippines is about the size from Portland, Oregon down to San Diego, a little longer than California, 100 population, uh, 80% of them or 80 million are Catholic, 13 million or 13% are Muslim in actually 13 different tribes. And about 7 million or 7% are born-again Protestant-type Christians. And uh, Manila has 16 million, and we live on the edge of Manila. So if you look out our window of our house, you will see just massive urban. Metro Manila grows at 5,000 people every day. That's not birth rate. That's just people coming to the city looking for work. And so we love the city. God is in the city. And uh, we have a training center there called uh, Youth with a Mission Anti-Polo Training Center where we train up missionaries that want to go into all of the world. My wife and I have been married 25 years now. I'm married to a Filipina. We met in a YWAM school. And we have two, her name is Liberty, like Liberty in Christ. And we have two daughters, a 19-year-old whose name is Evangeline, like Evangelist. And a 15-year-old named Victoria, like Victory in Christ. A very exciting uh, being back here in America. I got saved. I became a Christian when I was 20 years old in the Marine Corps. I used to be a Marine fixing airplanes. But uh, obviously, I wasn't always a believer, even though I grew up in a Lutheran church as a young boy. All of my relatives are German. My great-great-grandfather migrated to America in uh, 1901 through Ellis Island landing in South Dakota. So all of my relatives are German farmers, beef farmers, uh, pigs, chickens, cheese, ice cream, alfalfa, sweet clover, wheat uh, farmers. And um, uh, we had German hymnals in church, German food, German preaching. Uh, Everything was German, but I'm the youngest of the generation, so I never learned German. The only German words I know are cuss words and swear words. When my dad would get angry, he would cuss in German. 
and I know a Christmas song in German. O Tannenbaum, O Tannenbaum, die grünst die deine Blätter. O Christmas tree, O Christmas tree, how beautiful are your leaves. That's all I know, and I can count to 21 and introduce myself and ask you what your name is. But um, in the German, in that German Lutheran church environment, there was a problem, um, and the problem was um, there was a I, there was a lack of for the fear of the Lord in that situation. I remember my dad struggled with alcoholism all of his life, and and uh, really had trouble getting freedom in that particular environment. We had disco dancing in the youth room. I remember uh, playing ACDC music on in our youth room, and with, that was during the John Travolta phase. Uh, BGs were big village people. Macho, macho man. Remember that song? And YMCA. That was all the hits during my era in the 80s. And we sang these songs in the youth room in the back of the church. We thought this was all right. But um, I cheated all my way through school, English class, history class, shoplifting from sunglasses from Fair, Ken's Fairway Market to rubber to gloves, rubber bands, ice cream sandwiches from Heinz Market. So I was a little thief and a disco dancer, and the, my mom always thought I was such a nice uh, young boy and uh, really didn't know it. I didn't outwardly rebel to them, like curse at their face or anything, but my rebelling was uh, outside of the house. I, I remember working in a restaurant from age 14 to age 20, washing thousands of dishes a day, but when my parents would say, Mitchell, do the dishes, I wouldn't do a single dish at home. So, uh, Mitchell, mow the lawn. No problem mowing the lawn for the restaurant, but I wouldn't mow the lawn at home. So, bad attitude, which eventually led to me getting fired from the restaurant. So, I found myself one day transferring to McDonald's, and as I'm making French fries there at McDonald's, I thought, is this what I'm going to do all of my life? Restaurant business, food service? Do I have to climb up the ladder again to be an assistant manager here at McDonald's to be happy? And I knew I knew I wouldn't be because I did that in the other restaurant. Um, in the other restaurant, which I was for six years, it was like a, a Ponderosa, Bonanza, Golden Corral type of a steakhouse, major salad bar there in South Dakota. And the owner of the restaurant was, was an Assembly of God Pentecostal uh, guy. And the atmosphere of that restaurant was a Greek Book of Acts, Corinthian type atmosphere. And uh, he used to always nag me about my rock and roll music and about my disco music. Now, I never drank in all my life, never did drugs, and I was a virgin on my wedding day, but I used to love disco dancing. And I advanced in that restaurant despite me being a sinner, making $1,000 a month as an 18-year-old driving a brand new Celica GT, I remember, thinking I was like cool in my senior year. And a little trivia for our listeners out there. Uh, if you want to remember my hometown, Every time you see a Super 8 motel along the highway, remember me, Brother Mitch, because uh, they started in my hometown. I went to high school with the daughters of the founder of Super 8. And if you ever watched the movie Wizard of Oz, well, the, the writer and author of that famous uh, stage play came from my hometown. Actually, Dorothy was a real person in my hometown. She was actually a, a maid for a rich family at this big mansion in our house, which in our house, in our hometown. Uh, she was an actual person. 
That's our only claim to fames in my hometown, Super 8 and Wizard of Oz. But the owner used to always nag me about my rock and roll music. You know, when I was in a excited mood, I would listen to uh, Meatloaf, Bad Out of Hell. When I was in a dancing mood, it would all be straight to Bee Gees. When I was in a romantic mood, it would be Barbara Streisand, Neil Diamond's You Don't Bring Me Flowers. <laughs> Well, here I was in McDonald's making french fries, thinking, is this the future of my life in restaurants and going to the disco? (laughs) And so out of frustration, I even quit McDonald's because I thought, oh, there's got to be something more to life. So I went to the Navy recruiter and uh, spent a week with them, went to the Army recruiter, spent a week with them, went to the Air Force recruiter and... and, um, uh, spend a week with them, and all my friends said, whatever you do, don't go to the last door at the end of the hallway, the Marine office. And I'm thinking, why not? Why not? Oh, don't go down there. Everybody else is okay, but don't go to that last door. And I thought, what is down there? Is it like a haunted room or something? <laughs> and so after a month, I decided, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see what's at that last door. <laughs> and so I went into that last door, and as I walked into the room... Uh, everything was immaculate and totally in order. Everything had its place and polished and shined. And there was like no traffic going in and out of that office. And I, I had no idea why nobody's going here. I, why doesn't anybody like this group? <laughs> now, I was pretty ignorant. I had knew nothing about Marines. I thought maybe they worked with uh, dolphins or uh, marine life or had some kind of a partnership with the uh, Coast Guard or something. <laughs> But um, when uh, when they looked at me, they came into the room, and I don't know if they had their recruiters hook on, or if it was all part of the part of the whatever. But uh, they looked at me and said, "You know, as I look at you, young man, I think you're going to make a fine marine." And I said, "Oh yeah," and they said, "Yeah," and uh, uh, let me tell you more about what we have to offer. So I signed the line. I think the same day. So they shipped me off to Memphis, Tennessee, home of Elvis Presley, and. And um, I had to do a, I remember doing a search, uh, not a search, there was no online computer internet during that day, but I went, uh, did some research on Memphis, and I heard there was going to be, that was where Martin Luther King had his marches, and, and, um, black riots and things and I had never even really seen a black person in my life and I thought this is this is wow this is really going to be different and so I uh, was sent to Memphis Tennessee and went through my electronic schooling to fix airplanes and I remember one day walking into my barracks that's like a dormitory for marines or military guys and on the wall was a poster advertising a certain church and on the poster it said we love servicemen, fellowship, service, food, and fun. It was a basic advertisement promoting a particular church in downtown Memphis. And so at the bottom of the poster, it said that there would be a church bus that would come by every Sunday at 9 a.m. to pick up young Marines and Navy guys that wanted to go to church. So I thought, yeah, you know, I think I'm going I'm to check this out. So the timing was getting right for my life. And Uh, The timing wasn't always right. Way back in high school, I remember sitting in choir, six years in choir. 
I had a Pentecostal alto on my right, a Baptist guy to my left in the tenor section. Behind me in the bass section was an Assembly of God preacher's son. And over in the soprano section was three Pentecostal girls from the local Assembly of God church. And I remember them talking about God, talking about fellowship. And I'm like always in the middle, you know, saying basically whatever and just not interested. And of course, the owner of that restaurant I worked at, he was always preaching at me about my my music uh, collection and my disco habits. And, and so I knew who the real Christians were in my hometown. I knew who I could get away with, and I knew how, who I needed to hide from. And it was, the, 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 it was generally the Pentecostal born-again types that I had to hide from because I knew that they could see right through me, and they would try to corner me. I remember um, going to the disco, and there was used to be a Bible school in Allendale, North Carolina. Uh, Lowell Lundstrom was his name. And Lowell Lundstrom, a famous historical Assembly of God preacher, they used to send their Bible school students to my hometown, passing out tracks in front of the disco. And when I knew those guys were outside passing tracks, I wasn't interested. I would hide and I would stay away from them. But now the timing became more ready for me, and I was becoming more open to spiritual things and changing my life. And so as I responded to that poster on the wall, got on the bus, went to that church three Sundays in a row, I realized I was in trouble with God. See, my problem was I thought I was okay. Never drank, never did drugs, never fornicated. I'm okay. I'm not such a bad person. But after three weeks of good preaching, listening to the preacher, happened to be a Baptist preacher at that time, and he'd mix old war stories from Vietnam with his preaching former Marine, big old cowboy hat and cowboy boots and a big old King James Bible. And he used to point at us guys and say, you know, you boys might be tough on the outside, but I know you're crying on the inside. It's time to get right with God. And he'd preach with that southern southern accent like this. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. You better get right with God like that. That's how he talked. And, uh, it was exciting. Three weeks of that preaching, and um, every every Sunday ended the same. They would push the play button on their sound system, old ghetto blaster up there in the front, and um, they would play the song, Just As I Am Without One Plea. You know that song? Famous Billy Graham crusade type song. They'd play that same song, Just As I Am, every Sunday. But on this third Sunday, it was different because I realized, ah, I need to go forward. This is my week. This is my time. But I couldn't get out of my chair. I mean, I was a Marine. Mar- Marines aren't supposed to show weakness. Uh, I wouldn't even carry my Bible in public. We were taught, kill a commie for your mommy. Mean green, fighting machine. Arr, arr, arr. <laughs> you know, real Marines don't cry. Real, real Marines don't hug other men because you're automatically gay if you do. But on that third week, uh, there was this Navy reservist sitting beside me, and he seen a tear coming down my face, and uh, the timing was right. He put his arm around me, which was also humbling, because, you know, a Navy guy putting his arm around a Navy guy, that's also kind of a a (laughs) no-no. Oh, Anyhow, he did that, and he said, Mitch, you know, do you know where you'd go if you died today? And when he said that, I started losing it because I had no assurance of salvation. I had no, I knew I was in trouble. I knew I wasn't right with God. I knew I needed to surrender. And he said, well, Mitch, 
You don't necessarily need to go to the front of the church today if you want. Just follow me to the back classroom, to the Sunday school classroom, and I'll talk to you some more. So we got up out of the church and went to the room. By the time we got to that back classroom, my nose was running to the floor. God was breaking my heart big time, and I was, I was giving up. I was ready to surrender. And so that was June 10th, 1984. I was born again. I didn't understand everything that happened to me. I wasn't theologically uh, aware of what you know a spiritual birth was, but I knew that I knew that I knew something that happened to me that day and that I was going to be a changed person. And that's it, June 10th, 1984. I was what, uh, what the Bible calls being born again. Except you be born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God, John 3.3. 3. And so my life began to radically change, smashed all my rock and roll albums, smashed all my BG albums. I started writing letters home, asking forgiveness from people. It's called uh, restitution. I had four pages of yellow pad, legal-sized paper of businesses to write, teachers to write, parents to write, old girlfriends to ask forgiveness from, um, restitution. Uh, Paul says in the book of Acts, to always he always exercised himself to have a conscience void of offense towards God and towards man. So I remember going through this process of restitution, primarily provoked by a brochure that I came across by an earlier group from the Lindale Tyler area called Last Days Ministries. It was a brochure called um, True and False Conversion, an outline for true repentance, written originally by Charles Finney, but re-edited, I think, by Keith Green. And it was basically a checklist for repentance. And I remember going through that long checklist. Have you ever showed anger to anyone? Have you ever shown laziness, apathy? Uh, cheated, defrauded, immorality, just a massive, like an examination paper, like a mirror of the soul. And I remember going through that and realized, oh, so I was writing letters like crazy, uh, really changing my life. In the book of Corinthians, chapter 5, verse 17, it says, if anyone is in Christ, he becomes a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold... All things are become new. And that was my life. That was 31 years ago. I surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. Never turning back. I don't have a backsliding story. I can't come up to the mic and say, Well, when I was in college, I fell away from the Lord for a few years and married a non-Christian girl. And I don't have that kind of a story. I've been, in the Philippines, we call it drikshyo, uh, straight ahead, tuid, nangbuhai. That means straight life all the way. And so, when I was a two-year Christian and a two-year Marine, God began to speak to me about missions. So, I uh, was stationed in the Philippines fixing airplanes and ran into some youth with the mission workers when I was there that were in the process of discipling bar girls or former prostitutes in this big city, 250,000 population, 10,000 prostitutes, 450 bars, and about 30,000 U.S. military. And as I volunteered my free time at this Youth of the Mission Rehab Center, God began to speak to me about missions, evangelism, going, discipleship, etc. 
etc. So that's what I did. Finished my four years in the military, saved up about 5000 in my savings account. Not much, but it's all I had and got on an airplane on September 3, 1988 to the Philippines. And I've been there now for 26 years. I've preached, I've done missions and evangelism in 27 countries now. I've done evangelism in all 50 states of America and some of those, many of those states numerous times. Um, I own a home in the Philippines. I've been married 25 years and I'm 52 and just getting warmed up. Amen. Amen. And so it's exciting. It's an adventure following the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody wrote a few days ago on a Facebook site a, a string of questions they wanted to ask me. Somebody said, uh, what kind of sacrifices have you made to become a missionary? And when I look at the word sacrifice, I thought, you know, it really hasn't been a sacrifice, but I have had to lay down some rights, really. You know, um, I had, to, I remember, you know, minor things and, and major, you know, food. Somebody asked me today, um, you know, what do you look forward to or what do you miss the most about America? And what's the first thing you like to do when you get back to America? Remember, I only come here every four years, although I'm a U.S. citizen here. I vote and pay taxes here, but I'm never here except for every four years. But, you know, I miss things like Walmart and and uh, drive-throughs, uh, banking and... and uh, um, uh, uh, sunflower seeds and beef jerky and and highways. I love the highways of America. Uh, people aren't crossing your lanes like in the Philippines and the discipline of traffic and uh, you know these types of things. So there are things you have to give up or or leave temporarily, but. It's always been replaced by something else. You know, I, um, so not sacrifices, it's the wrong word, but giving up of rights. When I'm in the Philippines, I'm always sweating because it's 87 degrees every day. There's no snow. Um, it's high humidity, so you're hot, hot, hot all the time. Uh, no air conditioner necessarily. Uh, these types of things. But it's a, it's a joy following Jesus. Uh, it's been a joy. There's been no sacrifice, really. I do have a couple regrets. And if I have any regrets, I, I regret selling my, my old Marlin uh, um, uh, uh, 22 rifle. <laughs> I remember uh, I was so excited about going into missions. I started selling everything, and I even sold my 22 uh, seven uh, round clip uh, bolt action rifle that I had from age uh, 11 all the way to age 20. And I thought, oh, everything for Jesus. So I sold my rifle for $25, but I wish I would have kept that actually. <laughs> and that would be nice um, be able to shoot cans and shoot gophers. If Listen, if you've never shot a gopher before, uh, it's a lifetime experience. You've got to go all the way to South Dakota to shoot a gopher. Amen. We used to shoot gophers with our 22. And if you're a good shot, sometimes you can get two gophers with one bullet. Amen. It goes through the first and out the second. And then you tear off their tail and you get 10 cents a tail. You take them to the city hall. We'd get 200 tails in a whole day sometimes. 200 tails times a dime. That was, what, $20? Is that right? And uh, that was great for a kid. And um, so I guess I regret selling my rifle, but I've got a 66 now, not a 22. 
66 books. Amen. The Bible has 66 books, and it's uh, it's better than a rifle. Amen. It's actually sharper than a two-edged sword. The Bible says it's it pierces to the dividing asunder of your soul and your spirit, even to the joints and marrow of your bone, and uh, the Word of God is alive and powerful. So, uh, all joking aside, there hasn't been a sacrifice. I've got great joy, great life, great enthusiasm, great victory. It's been really adventurous, and um, I wouldn't change it for the world. Amen. Amen. Tell one of your favorite missionary stories, at least just something, one great missionary story that you have that has really touched your heart. Great. Well, I have a lot of stories, but the most current recent one was uh, November 2013. We had a super typhoon smashing into the Philippines. The the winds were 360 plus kilometers per hour. So if the roof of your house was not torn off, you were smashed into by 30 foot tsunami violent waves. And so it crashed through the middle of the country. Uh, over 10,000 lives were lost. And I responded with a team of five others. There was six of us on November 12th, approximately, we arrived on day six of, um, of, at Ground Zero in a place called Tuckloban City. And we immediately uh, began to set up a, like a, uh, not headquarters, but a, a, a location where other volunteers could begin coming. And we started body retrieval. We retrieved uh, 53 bodies in nine days. That's literally digging out the fatalities, bagging them, and then trying to carry them to the highway where they could be picked up by uh, vehicles later and taken to mass graves. And so I did that for nine days while we moved into um, setting up generators and extension cords and plug-ins at the evacuation centers. There was 32 evacuation centers set up. And there was no electricity for 89 days, no groceries, no food, no cooking. Uh, drinking water was hard to find. And we began to charge people's cell phones. Because there's uh, people were wondering, uh, how are my relatives? How are my kids? And but they couldn't call home because their batteries are dead. So we charged. We started. We could charge as many as 74, 75 cell phones at a time. And so while people are sitting and charging their phones by our generator, we're witnessing to everybody. So our first converts or the first people that we led to the Lord were in those evacuation centers. And then that led to Bible studies. And then that led to distribution of tools. Uh, we distributed over 1,050 hammers, 1,050 saws, tape measure, crowbars. Then we received a large gift from uh, Germany that enabled us to build over 30 homes at a value of $200 per home, quarter-inch plywood, two-by-two frames, and tin roofs, because we were not allowed to use cement or steel rebars in that disaster zone in case the government decides to make it into a park or subdivision or something. It's called the no-build zone, but you could use light materials. So we built 30 homes and we continued the Bible studies, continued the evangelism. We had over 900 volunteers coming within 12 months from all over the world. And every time a team came, 
Mitch, we have some money here for a good for two more houses. Mitch, here's a box full of uh, children's clothing. Uh, Mitch, here's a thousand cans of sardines. Uh, Mitch, uh, here's some money for mosquito nets. We distributed over 804 mosquito nets house to house. And the evangelism uh, from, from diapers to toothbrushes to school books to from napkins to panties. I believe we distributed just about anything you could think of. Uh, boxes would be arriving from all over the world. This is for distribution. Okay, boys, three more boxes arrived. Where are we going to take this, Brother Mitch? Uh, take it to these barangays. So we were like professionals at distribution. <laughs> And uh, well, that led to more uh, event, more um, Bible studies, etc. Until we eventually started a church. We partnered with a Belgium team that came. We built a church for probably $800. It holds about 45 people. We baptized 125 people. Do the math on that. You baptize 125, your church holds uh, 45. <laughs> So out of control, yeah, amen. And so, and then I pastored the church for ten months myself. I said, "Honey, wife, um, uh, we're going to move here permanently." So we committed to ten months on location. I pastored the church. Uh, all of the members were survivors, <laughs> obviously. If they weren't survivors, they wouldn't be in the church, right? <laughs> And so uh, all of them were less than uh, two-year believers, one-year believers, all of them. And so we, uh, we, uh, I gave uh, over 30 hours of teaching in preparation to raise up um, 20 to uh, official voting type members so that they could elect their own pastor, assistant, secretary, and treasurer. And uh, we did that uh, not too long ago before I came here. Maybe eight months ago or so, we officially voted in a, a leadership team, and they uh, have continued on with it. And so um, they have now moved out of that small um, building we built for $800 because we have now affiliated ourselves with a major denomination uh, located or headquartered in, Pop in, in uh, Puerto Rico called uh, Pentecostal Church of God International Movement. Puerto Rican based with 5,300 churches all around the world and uh, maybe less than 20 in the Philippines. So as we affiliated ourselves with this denomination, they released to us uh, one year of rent money to get us started where we were able to move our no-build zone $800 wood quarter-inch plywood church into the city. So we're downtown, right across from the malls, walking distance from McDonald's, etc., in a high-traffic area. So this is really our proving time. We are now maybe month three into the 12 months of really... Um, multiplying our members, discipling those that we have, and really seeing uh, you know, growth continue. And I just check on them about two months every year. I'll be back there again uh, in a few months uh, following them up, and I'm on uh, the internet with the leadership, checking up on them. How are you doing? Everything okay? And uh, we're progressing. And uh, that's uh, one of our biggest reports from 2013, but it didn't end because right before I arrived in America, you want a story that will uh, amaze you. January 27th, a tribal chieftain 
tribal meaning people of the mountain, people that eat the same every day, sweet potatoes every morning, invited us into their tribe. It's 52 kilometers driving and three hours walking and uh, on a trail. They said, uh, we want you to come in here. We want our tribe to transfer over to the God of the Bible because my daughter died a Christian a few months ago and I couldn't stand what I seen because she died so peacefully. She was singing unto the Lord when she died in the ambulance and I want that kind of God. Please come in here and tell us how we can transfer over. So I took 17 people in there last January 27th for a renunciation ceremony. There's 130 of them, but there's 15 tribes. This is in the southern part of the Philippines called Mindanao or Malaybalay area near Bukidnon. There's 15 villages, 3,000 total, but village number one only has 130. So we went in there and they had their own little ceremony and then they begin to burn all their idols. They had a big bonfire. They burn their altars. They burn their witchcraft stuff, different good luck charms that they carry in their pockets and stuff, their totem pole thing. They had a big bonfire. And then we preached to them for like an hour, gave them a teaching on baptism, and then we baptized 53 of them that same day, all in one day. Unbelievable. And so we just left. We left and uh, turned it over to a pastor's wife, which now goes in there every Saturday, every Saturday to follow them up. They are illiterate. They can't read and they can't write. And... uh, but they, they want they want to to be discipled, obviously. So that's the beginning of another church. We, I, we actually have the book of Genesis in their language. We've got the book of Luke in their language and the book of Jonah in their language. We have a health, like hygiene manual in their language and like a, you know, a, a reading, writing, and arithmetic manual in their language, which was finished by old missionaries in the 80s, but was never, you know, used. And so now we have these tools, but what good is the book of Genesis if people can't read it? So they need to be taught how to read and to write. They used to have a school, but the communists destroyed it because if people can read and write, then they will not follow the communists. So uh, this is what the pastor's wife is doing now, going in every Saturday, trying to help them with their alphabet, etc., and basic food uh, feeding program for the kids until we can raise up more workers and organize everything better to really establish a church there and uh, begin to uh, incorporate these these discipleship goals. Um, we would like to be able to record the the different books in the Bible, uh, and, you know, audio, like audio Genesis or audio Luke or audio Jonah, etc., so that we don't have to wait for them to learn how to read. They can start listening to it, but Everything takes time and everything takes manpower. And so uh, as soon as I can get out of America and get back, I can get back to work. So (laughs) amen. So continue to pray for us as we continue to pioneer the way across the country in the Philippines. Um, We have different churches that support us and different families, but we're always looking for more uh, sponsors for our kids, for their tuition, this sort of thing. One time, regular, or uh, annual gifts are great, wonderful. Tax deduction is available for anybody that is interested in that sort of thing as well. And appreciate this opportunity to be able to speak on your program. Thank you very much. Mitch, thank you very much. Yes, fertile soil, but one thing we ought to uh, 
leave here with. Why don't you pray over the audience what God would have you pray? Okay, we're going to pray for all of you, so just take a moment and silence yourself. Father, whoever is listening today on this program, if they are a believer, someone who is a follower of Jesus, Father, I would pray that you would stir them and move them and inspire them to catch a vision of their calling in Christ Jesus. Lord, use everything that they are involved in, everything they touch, everywhere their feet go. I pray you'll give them increase and multiply all of the labors of their hands that they might hit the mark of their high calling also. For those that are not believers, that know they're not believers, they know that they are not a Christian, a follower, a disciple of yours. Father, I pray that you'll give them a hunger for the Bible, a hunger to get to church, a hunger for salvation, a hunger for heaven, a desire to um, uh, move from their current condition into a place of uh, forgiveness, a place of new life, new birth, productivity, um, just a, uh, an explosion of new uh, possibilities. Come, Holy Spirit, and touch them that they might be healed in their mind, in their emotions, in their body. New creatures, Lord, in the name of Jesus, those that... Um, maybe are a believer or not sure, Father, I pray that you'll just stir them back to the Bible, even even to the book of Luke. Give them a hunger for the book of Luke, as we just mentioned, that as they read it and meditate on it, it will stir them and move them towards love and good works. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Well, thank you so very mm-hmm. much. What a pleasure. <laughs> Hallelujah. That's a wrap.